And I just think when you can weave all of the great parts about your being in one, it's one simplifies a lot of things, but it also takes off that fancy layer. And I think so much of us go through life, especially in the work side, posturing on who we are, having to have a little bit more bravado. I'm like, what you see is what you get. Like the people who know me, know me. Hello. Today I chat with Elizabeth Wheel, who has been part of a lot of growth stories. She was early Twitter and then grew, helped grow it to 3,000 people, was early uh, Andreessen Horowitz and then helped grow that, and then also was early to this thing called 137 Ventures, which is a uh, like a secondary market kind of growth, uh, growth stage thing and helped grow that as well, and now has her own VC firm. And it was just really interesting to hear Elizabeth's perspective on what it takes to to kind of grow something large um and so if you're if you're a person in the world who is you know there's this r slash anti-work energy and elizabeth is kind of anti that you know she's a runner she's just she loves she loves jamming on things and so uh we learn a lot about the twitter story um you know first the twitter story and how kind of that grew you know how they start to um, you know work with other apps in the market and how they um, how she kind of went from corp devs to biz devs to all these different things um, how you know all this like letter pressing all the kind of the human elements to these early companies which is really really crucial um, and then at a16z kind of learning about you know how she um, how, how the startup orgs work in terms of connecting people and so she sees herself as a connector and it was really connecting the fortune 500 the global 2000 to these startups and like looking for those interesting win-win relationships um and then finally at 137 again it was like you know these growth stage companies where the executive team has all their money in equity and so they don't have as much cash and so you know they gave out these loans to these uh, 137 gives out loans to the executives um uh collateralized by the by the equity and so it was another kind of interesting piece around like kind of a later piece of the of the VC cycle. So yeah, I think it's a cool episode to learn about and to kind of just see someone who really just loves being on the ground and growing things from the bottom up. Um, yeah, check it out if you're interested in that. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and see you next time. Bye. Hello, Reese's Pieces. I'm Reese, the co-founder of Root, and welcome to The Reese Show. I believe the best way to predict the future is to build it. And so I'm interviewing pioneers on the frontier to understand what the world will look like and the secrets behind how they're building it. These are insights from the frontier. And today I'm excited to chat with Elizabeth Wheel. So Elizabeth has uh, been part of these amazing teams uh, where she's grown and scaled things, you know, at Twitter going from 50 to 3000, you know, being part of early A16Z and then also early 137 Ventures, which is like a growth firm. And so, Elizabeth, could you kind of tell us, maybe starting with each of those, starting with Twitter, actually, um, could you start with like how you grew and scaled these um, technology orgs? Sure. And it's uh, it's always, you know, a dabbled journey, but it does make sense looking backwards. But I would have to even start a few years before Scribble, where I'm just like around what I grew up around. I grew up in a little town in, near Sacramento in Orangevale, California. And my mom uh, was a second grade teacher down the street from my house. And it just, she always knew the people that, that made our community work. Like she knew the gas station attendant and she knew our deli sandwich maker and the garbage man and the mailman. And it's something that I've very much brought to my life, but I like making a big world feel small. And I show my children that now too. We know our garbage man by, you know, first name. And I, I think I always saw this feeling of like bring great people together and just, you know, pull your community together. Uh, I ended up going to Stanford for undergrad, got my master's in engineering and my undergrad degree in economics. And really what opened my eyes to all of tech in the Valley was this program within the engineering school called the Mayfield Fellows Program. And it takes about 10 or 12 students a year, a nine month program you basically are getting this business education as you also work at a venture-backed company. You're paired with great mentors and CEOs uh, to help you through and help you learn. And I was at a venture-backed startup right before the end of school, for, and I stayed for about two years. And it just opened my eyes that you could be young, relatively limited experience, and still have dramatic impact at these fast-growing companies. And I had so much fun at the same time. 
So after graduation, I uh, took a role at Menlo Ventures, a stage agnostic firm on Sand Hill, and learned the ropes of venture capital there in the tech industry. Then I went to Institutional Venture Partners, IVP, uh, and that was more on the growth side. And we actually were fortunate to make a small investment in Twitter at the end of 2008, and Twitter was roughly 25 people at the time. I'd been a beta user, uh, but I now was getting to see it from the business side. And I was just captivated. And it was, you know, so much fun going on. And I had a friend go there and she said that they needed somebody to start their analytics team. And actually, Kevin, uh, my husband, also part of the Scribble story, he uh, was in the PhD at Stanford in theoretical particle physics. So super nerd. And I said, hey, this little company, Twitter, needs somebody to start their analytics team. So he ended up actually going to Twitter when it was about 35 people and building out that team, ultimately running product at, at Twitter, and it stayed for seven years there. But where I connect back in, I just realized how much fun he was having. I would go to the office without having a job there. I would work from there. You know, there were no badges on doors. You would be there for the company all hands. And there were all these problems to solve that, of course, like no one else was doing it. So who cares if you don't have a role there? You just dive in and start helping. And Dick Costello, our CEO, joined. Uh, and I remember, you know, a big pivotal force for me to go to Twitter uh, while I was just hanging out doing my work and some Twitter work on the side, not paid. Uh, Ron Conway was always in those halls with us. And I remember him sitting me down and he's like, why don't you just work here? And I think it I thought I had this fancy venture capital job as, you know, a 20 something. And yeah, why couldn't I go work there? We didn't have children yet. We, you know, we could work 24 seven. It, it was such a magical time. So I went over to Twitter when it was roughly 50 people stayed through a stage of hyper growth to up about 3000. And it was just fun. I started the corp dev team it, that also became biz dev, biz ops, product marketing, anything under the sun that was kind of non-end, you know, I made the soccer team t-shirts and faced people around the office to sign welcome cards, you know, and it was just, I letterpress stationery for each welcome of employees. It was just a fun, fun time to be there. So I think uh, to answer your question on like what draws me uh, now, looking back across all the things I've done and I've always had, I, you know, call my big three, uh, but kind of the orienting factors of how do I want to spend my time? And one, like choose a job for the people. Like who, who are you? You know, you become the average of the people you surround yourself with and will work for, with great people. Um, two for me was always location. And it's a little bit more of a moot point now with, you know, future of Zoom and remote work. But I say life's too short to have a really long commute or be in an environment you don't like. And I have far too many hobbies and things I like to do. Like I run every morning and I have three children and I like being part of my community. And I, there's so many pieces. I do, you know, expert Lego sets, like how to attend. If you have a big commute or a big place, you know, like you just can't cram as much in every day. And then number three for me was, am I learning? And if you're with the right people in a location and environment you like, and you're learning every day, like that's the Holy grail. And when something is out of whack on those, that's when I've made job changes. And, uh, and when that learning curve flattens and it, the cool thing about startups and venture capital, in my opinion, is the learning curve never flattens. Like you might start mastering one thing, but there's a heck of a lot of other things to, to keep on learning. Totally. Yeah. I love that. I love those, um, those three, yeah, it's just like a good thing. It's like people, good people and a good location. And if and, and and as you say, you're kind of learning a lot where you just kind of like then you kind of switch from from place to place as you're like, okay, I feel like the learning juices here are kind of um I've ex I've extracted all of them, you know. And it I think for me it started even earlier. It started with my first job. Like I well, my first job, I started a little woodworking business. So that was you know more uncreative, but in selling it's some entrepreneur hat. But the day I got my work permit. I went to down the street from my house. There was a Noah's bagels. And this is back when bagels were cool and carbs were still in fashion. Uh, and I knocked on that door and I wanted to work at Noah's bagels. And I started, I ultimately stayed for five years all through high school, my first year of college. And I started out as, you know, a bagel slicer, but then I ended up 
being the shift manager and then running the catering program and then managing the inventory. And I mean, I even threw on a bagel suit from time to time when, you know, someone needed to do it. And I just always like, like I knew everything about Noah's bagels. I didn't need to, but I knew about poppy seeds and how many seeds are in per pound and, you know, the things you master because it's just interesting and why not? And uh, I think the, the thread from Twitter, obviously things to, to learn and grow there. And then why Andreessen Horowitz was so interesting. Uh, right, actually, let me, let me let me pause you for a second before going yeah. to A16Z, which is, I'm, I'm curious more about the Twitter story, which is so, so you're there, it's 50 people, you you know, you've been hanging out with them for a bit. What does it, I think for, for someone like me, and also for just kind of like our listeners in general, it's like, you know, I think we hear about these hyper growth startups and they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And it was, it had 50 people. And then some amount of time had 3000 people. But it's kind of like talking about, you know, the universe. It's like, oh, it's a hundred million light years long. Or it's like, okay, what, what does that actually mean? So like, could you tell us a little bit more about like the day to day in those first kind of couple years of like, you know, what's, what needs to be done? You're putting out fires. What does that mean? You know, like, tell us a little bit more about the texture there. It was so fun. It was so fun. So I mean, this could be two hours just on the fun of the early days of, of Twitter. But, you know, there's this energy, first of all. If anybody's walked into a startup where you just have that energy, where it's fast growing, there's great people, and it's like there's too many things to do, and it's awesome. It's amazing. Uh, every conference room in Twitter, and we had a few buildings, and we started, obviously, in a different building than, than they're in now. Uh, but all the conference rooms, one big theme, they were named after birds. Surprise, surprise. So I still remember like how many meetings in Plover, for example, or Blackbird. And you would just be solving like one half hour would be a one problem you're solving about how to slice and dice the Twitter API. And do we, and there were all these people in, out in the wild, wild west of Twitter. Um, then the next meeting would be like the corp depth stuff, for example. I most people listening to this probably don't know that there was never like a Twitter blue app. Like there was never a Twitter app that was owned by Twitter. It was the wild west of these Twitterific and Twitterati and Tweety. And what my first project when I started was carving out, like going and looking at that landscape, who's interesting, which ones are there, who's like, and we, we knew as in a business, it was important to, uh, to have, own a Twitter app. And I'd gotten to know uh, Lauren Brichter, who was the founder of Tweety, and solo, amazing engineer, lived in the middle of the country, and he had this incredible app. And you know, he was perfectly happy having downloads and payment for for this great app. But we ended up being able to do a great partnership uh, and acquire his company uh, and all that he'd built. And it was just such a, it, for me, what, and it's really been why it was so pivotal. And he probably doesn't even know as how pivotal he was in my life. Uh, it was the piece of like, it wasn't just business that mattered. It wasn't the highest price. Like we had no acquisition budget when I started at Twitter. It was like, really like, how can you get this on some Twitter t-shirts and some bird stickers? And I remember making this, uh, I went to the craft store and I got this giant nest and I had found out all of the things that he liked, like candies and sizes of t-shirt and his wife's, you know, t-shirt size. And I had no budget, but I filled this nest with, you know, stickers and t-shirts and stickers and I mailed it to him. And I just had this, like, for me, it brings back to like not having your community in your world, big world feel small. Like this wasn't about just tearing off his company and acquiring it by this big corporate. It was like we were this unique, scrappy, fun team at Twitter that knew his work was important. And it took a little bit of business sell and it took a little bit of human sell. And I love that piece of, um, you know, just doing very craft bespoke work. It's like something that's very foundational to what I've now um, had the chance to build with our team at Scribble, where it's just there's so like everything that in, along the startup journey is craft and is bespoke in my opinion you can't productize essentially this motion like you need to know what you need to know at the right point in time with the right people and that's the magic part so on one of the twitter stories like that's there was just a different problem to solve and then the next half hour was a totally different problem to solve 
Uh, but one of my favorite things about that scaling time, um, I, I run a small letterpress business called Paper Wheel that I started over 15 years ago now. I'm a big like right brain, left brain crazy person. But I letterpress on a 1923 Chandler and Price press still. It's my night and weekend. And, you know, later this evening, I have things to ship and print. But I loved the iconic Twitter bird from before I was even an employee. And I had letterpressed flat stationary cards that had the Twitter bird on them. And in the early days, like you had nothing, you were not welcoming employees. And I was like, you know, and our culture was so cool though. So I would handwrite with a Sharpie on these letterpressed cards. Welcome Reese. Welcome John. Welcome anyway. And in the early days, I would chase Ev and Biz around the office to sign the welcome cards. And over time, like, you know, that's totally scalable when you're you know, hiring like one person every few weeks. And then it became, we were hiring a lot of people per week. And then it became, what's well, only a people start on Mondays. And I remember my my biggest stack uh, over those four years of tw Twitter letterpress cards, which I continued to do until I left, I had a stack of 40 names on the Sunday night, you know, before Monday's new employees started. And I still hand wrote those 40, welcome so-and-so. And no longer could Evan Biz, you know, be chased around to sign them all. But the employees, uh, you know, the friends I, you know, at Twitter, like so many people had this card displayed on their desk until they left. And it just, it warmed my heart along the way. So my absolute favorite job that I had at, at Twitter was the one welcome half hour of employee onboarding and telling the Twitter history and the story. And it just, um, having the privilege to work at a company that's solving like a world's mission at that point, being such an amazing communication channel, uh, government, like everything, we, like thinking back in 2009, Twitter was putting so many new things on the map and uh, it was quite a journey. So I could go on and on, but no, I love that. That's a great, it's cool to hear about too, the kind of like, there's like the productization. I mean, cause you can imagine a different version of things where you just like get the chat GPT bot to say like, hello, welcome new employee. We are grateful for you to be here, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And it just doesn't have the same ring. Um, and so it, it makes me also think about like, some of the best company cultures and, and you know, Patrick Holston from Stripe will talk about this and, and, and when he's learning from Google where it's like, you know, why did Google have such a great company culture? Well, because their business model is super good. You know, why did Stripe have a good company culture? Because their business model is so good. And so why did, and so Twitter is like, it, it's easy to have a better, cool culture when there's like, when you can feel the growth and you can feel the momentum when you guys are doing something that's cool and that's growing. And then yeah. the, it kind of makes this great loop of like, you're not trying to bring people onto some sinking ship. It's like, no, we're building something awesome. Like come join the squad. I think um, that, and that's something I talk to a lot of our Scribble founders and CEOs, both about the culture. I love the culture piece. Like half of my bookshelf is, uh, is corporate culture. Uh, and I think having this larger mission than yourself. And I think when you see that, especially on a world stage where it's a very fast growing company, where something like Twitter is really on the world stage and you're helping democracy and you're helping you know, save somebody's life because, you know, these different things, we would celebrate those as our, at our company all hands. And I talk to our founders now, you can celebrate moments in your company, even if it's not the highest flying, fastest growth company, but doing that and seeing that the work you do each day, even in the weeds is translating to something larger than yourself. I mean, even for something like Scribble, uh, you know, it's our founders that are doing the, the work, but being able to see that we're helping in some tiny sliver of doing a larger, you know, painting into a larger picture. And I think that's, that's really important. Uh, and then I think as what makes some other really great corporate cultures is just, you know, something I, I talk about it at Twitter, like act like an owner and be like, be an owner. And there's something about having, you know, well spelled out values and mission and things like that. But in the early days of Scribble, like, again, we had no budget. I was helping out of fun. I'm interested. In, I like wine and I like Napa area. And none of those small businesses knew how to be, use Twitter. And so I helped onboard wineries to Twitter, like really fun. You strike great relationships. 
And then I saw our team and like, we're having so much fun at the office since people you like being around. I'm like, why don't we bring in a winery and do wine tasting Tuesdays at Twitter and like employees get something, the winery would love to do it and be, and it was make those things happen. You know, we had tweet feet and tweet feet was on Tuesdays and it was our running club. And some of these things that can take absolutely zero budget, but that you help build along the way and make that connective tissue of your company that much stronger. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like, um, and just like whatever agency you have in the world to just kind of be like, oh, I love this thing. I love wineries. Yeah, let's hit them up, you know? And so it's kind of like an easy thing. And then being the catalytic energy that helps other. It makes me also think about, I get two things. One is, um, you know, Sam Altman from OpenAI I was talking about how, yeah, how just as the world is spinning around them and it's kind of intense, he's just like, look, we're just focused on the mission. You know, we're excited to do the mission. We want to do really good things. So the, and so it's like, that's just such a core piece of, of any, whether it's a, a company or whether it's a nation or whatever it may be, it's like the mission focus. And then the other well, thing it makes me think of is kind of the Brie, Brie Wolfson from Stripe had this great piece uh, on what I miss about working about at Stripe, which talks about those early days of an org where it's like super yeah. intense. If people are working hard, but you're working for something greater than yourself. And I guess I'm curious, Elizabeth, because I feel like there's like, I don't know, there's this weird um, 2023 moment thing of like, there's like, I don't know if there's like r slash anti work energy, but then it's like, are you allowed to work hard? How do you, how have you seen that play out either in yourself or, or in some of your companies? Oh, gosh, yes. And I mean, I'm, unfortunately, or fortunately, I see it in my husband every day too. Nice. Uh, Kevin, we all, and the, the, he is a whole other fun journey along the way. And he, he very much maps in our, my life. Uh, we we met in in grad school and we're married you know right after that so all of our professional journeys have been uh, along along together but he's the president of planet now and that mission and the larger picture of he loves it and he's work i asked him even over the weekend are you happy like he's working like 20 hours a day and are you happy he's like yes i'm happy i love it and he's solving problems you're seeing how you're helping the world change and you're doing it with a great team and it's just it's something that i feel even with my work at scribble where um, we have the chance to work with so many great i look at you know like little stakeholder groups like all of your founders are doing something interesting and you're able to connect with them and like our limited partners are phenomenal and they i learned things from them our mini team scribble is awesome and i learn things from all of my team and we like make everything better together and it's just such a fun um it's a fun motion i and i i really do look at it like that yeah i think it's cool i think it's like and i think it's like the way I see it too, and I sometimes talk about it with my my other kind of less techie friends about it, it's like, look, there's some people that really love to work, and and if they're doing great work with a thing that they like to do, that's awesome. Let them do it. And then if you're less into that and you want to hang out more, that's fine. You know, like, and they're both kind of fine. And like, it's not like the super hard worky people should be like, you know, judging the others. It's not like the people who are like chilling more should be like looking at the tech people and be like, you work too hard. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's fine for the. We it takes all types, you know. Um, yes, and for I, me, uh, the it's the overlapping. I mean, it makes it exhausting. But I one of the things that I really like about the venture motion, uh, in particular, and just the way I lead, lead my life, to be honest, uh, you don't mind the two merging. So this weekend, for example, like another board member, I would say he's a friend, but we went on a walk. But you could be like, oh, that's a board member, or uh, the founders that, you know, we start a, as a team scribble, we start a WhatsApp thread one-to-one with the, the founding team and then team scribble. And they, you know, our founders say they have scribble in their pocket. And again, to the bespoke motion of venture capital, it's like they have a certain question about something at that point in time. It's again, not productizable. So can you help close this candidate? Or, hey, do you know so-and-so? Or we've been thinking about this partner. Do you happen to have an intro to this person? Those you, I mean, it's so much of life that yes, they come over and meet me in my driveway to go on a walk, and they happen to meet my children. And I just think when you can weave all of the great parts about your being in one, it's one simplifies a lot of things, but it also takes off that fancy layer. And I think so much of us go through life especially in the work side, posturing on who we are, having to have a little bit more bravado. 
I'm like, what you see is what you get. Like people who know me, know me. And I, I can of course go fancy, but yes, I would love to take you on a walk and chat about all the things and all the pieces that are you in addition to your company. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, the, the combination of work and life can be, can be beautiful in many ways. So let's, so let's talk about, so Twitter, it's intense, it's, but it's really fun. You're part of the squad. You're building out all these different functions. Um, and then how, tell me about like, so then you joined A16Z Andreessen Horowitz right around the time of their first or their third fund. What, uh, tell, tell me about like what that was like and, and how, again, yeah, yeah. What was it like to gr- start yeah. to grow that thing? Yeah. Another really fun um, step. And again, I think like, I love the idea of learning and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go straight back to venture capital yet. And this was like a hybrid. So uh, for those of you who know Andreessen Horowitz, very big operations motion at, at the firm. And really we were putting operations on the map. If you remember back in, this was what, 2012-ish, no venture firms really had an operations motion, especially one that they talked about. And we were doing it in a very methodical way at Andreessen Horowitz, which I, I very much admire uh, now looking, you know, I, that I didn't know I was seeing that piece of growth. But I joined is roughly, uh, I think there were about 50 people there. And my role was uh, on the market development team. And for the, the different verticals, market development was essentially the motion connecting the Fortune 500, Global 2000, to our portfolio companies. End goal being revenue, ultimately business development relationships. And we were doing this across enterprise and consumer. We built out a briefing center. We did over time. It was the market dev team was three people and I joined. Uh, we built it out over four years to about 35 people. So a really, really impactful uh, motion with, with our companies because, you know, especially in some of those, those, uh, those portfolio companies of ours that had a big list of corporate buyers uh, by getting them, those two parties in a room together, like really could print some real revenue for these companies. It was such a fun motion. I would go to something and I'd meet the CMO of Chipotle or, you know, the CEO of Qualcomm or, uh, you know, the, a Walmart executive and like Indra Nui from Pepsi, like people along the way. And these big companies needed to know about technology and our companies would love to have access to people like this. So the days were really fun. They were so busy, but they were fun because a typical executive briefing day, you know, say the exec team of Molson Coors would come in and you're like, I didn't know today I was going to get a boot camp on beer. And it was so fun. So you talk a little bit about tech and the industry that we all saw, they would tell you a fascinating overview of their business. And then you would be bringing the companies in to meet. So if, you know, I don't know, uh, say Frito-Lay needed, they had learned about Slack or a mobile analytics tool or Pinterest was just being put on the map and introducing them to Craft or, or MasterCard and Lyft. And it was just this, it was just fun. So building out both the team, making that happen, and then also learning in this hyper world way of like industries I never thought I was going to get a boot camp in uh, was just awesome. What it did tease out for me was that I missed the investing side. And I, I think it was awesome to crave that again. And that was the step where I ended up taking uh, a role as a GP at 137 Ventures in the structured secondary space. And I really cool part of the asset class. But again, it was like, it was time to go back on the investing side, but still doing a little bit of that motion because I just love plugging people together. But yeah. so, so yes. The, I like the it. It's like, it's like a cool, it's like, um, as you said, it's like the big world small, make the big world small. It's like when you were doing that, which is like, hey, here's this whole set. You can imagine all the, you know, Fortune 500, 2000 on the left side, and then all these startups on the right side. And you're just trying to like match make, you know, you're just like, you guys might go on a good date. Yes, I remember being on the, and I started using it. It's like, what do I want to learn about? And I'm a big, big ultra runner. And so, you know, met with the CEO of Brooks Running and there the Brooks exec team came in and, you know, they rattle off like all the things that are interesting to them. And you just see these sparks fly in your brain where you're like, oh, we have a, port- we, I mean, cool thing about Andrews Norwitz, they had a very broad portfolio too. So it's like, you're going shopping in your, your head of like, which companies could they 
there's interesting things that can happen both on the enterprise and consumer side. So yeah, it's, it was a really fun job. That's cool. And then let me ask a question before going to 137, which is, what was it like, you know, to be part of, you know, Twitter as it was growing versus to be part of something like A16Z as it was growing? Like, what's the, um, what was the, what's the difference between like a venture firm growing versus a company? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, for better or for worse, Andreessen Horowitz was feeling like it was growing at a similar hyper growth speed because uh, it's now such a large powerhouse. And we, you know, we were, I mean, there were so many people that worked there. That it was, that was a fun energy too. But the piece that, you know, was different is uh, I had a more focused mission at one at a A16Z, just about, you know, it felt it was still a huge expansive universe of the possibilities that could be connected, for example. But, you know, you, there was more, a more focused thing on what are you building? Um, and at Twitter, you know, it's still the Wild West, which was quite fun. There was, I mean, there was so much so much, you know, that that lay ahead. Uh, but on the uh, Andreessen side, like it just was, you were really able to see that how knitting together operations in addition to venture capital could be powerful. And I think it was, it taught me and, you know, I, I, in, when I look back on my background, I think I got to steal the great things from each of the places along the way and then leave behind the stuff I didn't like. And that's so the foundation for Scribble. Like we can help with that motion with our portfolio founders. Like who's your dream list? And now we, we do it at you know a smaller scale, but those people are accessible. And if you match make the right people, like that's that can happen and that can change the game for a small, fast growing company. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's like, and I think that the, it is crazy just and for the listeners who aren't aware of this and and if you want to dive deeper into this check out something like the secrets of sand hill road um it's like before andreessen there wasn't really uh, operations weren't really tied into vc firms it was just kind of like there were some random people and you had these folks who were giving out some money or whatever but they said kind of good luck you know and this is andreessen's more like no we will have like you know there will be elizabeth will be there and she'll be actively trying to connect you with all these people or whatever. And so that kind of spread into the more wider um, VC industry after that. So tell us about, let's talk about 137. And um, is, and I, I know less about, it's like a growth state. Tell us like, what, what, what is it? And what was your kind of role there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was founded uh, by one of my classmates at, at Stanford, one of my Mayfield fellow uh, friends, Justin Fishner Wolfson. And we've gotten to know each other and, He's like an awesome, like he, his brain works in different ways. And he had this idea long ago before others, you know, were really spending any time thinking about the secondary space, let alone the structured secondary space. But these, you know, fast growing companies, pick, picture something of, you know, Facebook when it was still private, you know, you're working away as an engineer, you have significant equity, you know, as it translates into, you know, fast growing companies but you're cash strapped. Like you've never been able to buy your first home or get out of your apartment, or you might be having kids or on and on and on. And I joined at a time when, you know, people are graduating through that, that life cycle, like are kids going to college? Are you getting, and there's reasons that you need capital and you have so much of your personal wealth tied up in companies. So the motion of, of 137 ventures was essentially providing loans, um, so secondary shares and making that possible. So the executive teams, like you're not making them run off to Tahiti, you know, and with millions and millions and millions yet, like there's still appetite to grow, but how do we, how do you release that pressure valve, you know, release just a little bit so you can buy your first home or you can, you know, get out of your apartment and make it a little bit bigger if you're having your first baby. And it was really being there with capital um, at the right point in people's, people's lives. And I think that's what really attracted me. It was the human piece of it. And on the business side, it's phenomenal. You're able to build a portfolio at, like with your venture capital hat on of these later stage, fast growing companies uh, and have a you know, significant upside going forward. And what I also was drawn to, I uh, was just a small team. And when I was there, it was roughly 10 people. 
And there's something very magical about working with small, scrappy, wear a lot of hats types of teams. And what that taught me and, and very, again, foundational for my scribble journey and what, what we've built here, we all wear a lot of hats. I, I say we, we're, you know, good little MacGyvers that are, you know, using duct tape, but showing polish. And I like that feeling. And I think it keeps you hungry. It makes you still feel like and act like an owner. It makes you so much more empathetic to the journey that we're all going through on this crazy thing called life or founded companies. Uh, but I, I think there's something so great about that core, like wear enough hats, stand, don't have too cushy of a job, like work hard, play hard and it all, you know, it just, it, it fills that energy cycle. Yeah. Being close to the rail of like, yeah, just like, yeah, doing doing the real kind of intense work. And so if I understand that correctly, it's in structured secondary, because I kind of imagine as there is, uh, yeah, as these companies, they get bigger and there are, there's, um, they have this equity, but the equity is locked up. There hasn't been an M&A or an IPO yet. And so they're like, hey, um, could I get access to this? And so do you give them, is it is it like a secondary market where you're buying the equity from them and giving them cash or it's more loans? To, how does it actually work? Well, I mean, this could be a whole other, I mean, in the yeah. tech secondary there's this could be another hour hour podcast um, because some people buy like venture capital funds portfolios as a yeah. secondary or some you've heard some tech companies do a tender offer for example where uh everyone can take some some off of the table and that's run like, that's a much larger scale um that the high level nuts and bolts of the 137 uh, model was working with the executive teams of these these companies that were on that growth trajectory and these founders and executives really are the company like they're holding a lot of their uh net worth is is tied up in these companies and lar larger shareholders um so being able to provide a, a loan and collateralizing that with some of the shares and then if you think of it at the time like still there's a hold timeline of it's you know a later stage company but growing to a, a hopefully a a public offering at the time of that IPO, everyone shares in the upside. So there's great tax implications as well. Uh, but that these founders could hold on to a lot more capital and parts of their company than they would have to had they just done an outright, you know, secondary or just sold the shares or um, not be able to have that pressure valve release. Like, and got it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and so this one specifically was yeah, it's the 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 kind of executive team, and then giving loans uh, collateralized by the equity. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so and so kind of kind of looping before the, spending the last little bit of the podcast on Scribble, I guess I want to ask. So, I guess you know, there's something still here about you know, you're part of these different. You like being part of these ragtag, you know, kind of you know, wear all hats teams. You like growing things. I guess is there like. Maybe are there like some? I'm not sure the 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 right the right things to ask you, but maybe the the first one is like, do you have like learnings about like how to grow things? You know, maybe that's because you've grown a lot of different things. I, how does one yeah, grow a thing? But, but not productized, of course. Like my whole life has been learning, uh, but you know, I I don't I haven't really like boiled it down. I, you just kind of keep doing it. You know, I think that's the cool part of you know they say venture. And it's an overuser, but it's so pattern matching. And I kind of get that now where you're just collecting all of these things over time. And that's what makes you an amazing VC or that's what makes you an amazing leader. And it's, I, I actually have never thought like sitting down and thematically writing um, all that I've learned, there'd be no time for that. Um, but it's, <laughs> again, it's just like, if I'm, working with great people, I'm doing it in a place I like, and I'm learning. Hey, that's all the, that's all of it. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that's good. I think it's a, I think it's a reasonable answer, which is like, there's a ton of implicit knowledge there, which is just like, you've, you've done the thing. And it's, and, and a lot of it, it's just in funny ways too. It's just simple, which is like, look, you yeah. could say X, Y, Z, but really it's just like, be showing up every day, you know, for a long period of time, it, stuff will happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Now, now that you phrase it that way, a lot is how you orient yourself to ask that question and what's your outlook on life? Because if somebody asked me today, like, well, we have to go do this or how, or we're going to, or we're going to do why 
my brain said, okay, how are we going to go do that? And you know, you can do it. You don't know yet, but that it's not like, eh, no, we can't, that's not going to work for this company. It's like, okay, we're going to go tackle. And then you start lining up the things. So I think it's a framework and an outlook in a lot of ways. And maybe what really, you know, shakes out the great founders from the mediocre ones and why for me, Scribble Investing Motion is so founder driven. And I know it when I see it. I know it when I feel it. Even when doing it on Zoom, when you're like getting to know someone, there's a different type of founder that I know I like working with. And it's it's just there. Sometimes you also have to wrap that with phenomenal products and you know goals for the company. But there is something about that framework and that outlook of like that person is going to make magic happen. And you know they're running through walls. Like you don't even have to tease that out. You're just like, that's an ethos. Yes, totally. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, it's, yeah, these people that, that are, yeah, agentic, relentlessly resourceful, you know, all these kind of energy running through walls. So it's like, they can't help but do it. And they're, and they're always saying, yes, they're always trying to find this, do the next thing. And, and yeah, you did it a bunch yourself. And so you can kind of see it in other people. You're like, oh, that person's hungry. You know, that person's like looking to do the thing. So, so tell us a little bit about Scribble and, um, I guess I'm especially curious. Yeah. Like what, um, you know, what either, I guess, yeah. What kinds of, yeah, what are, actually, let's just start like, what made you want to start Scribble and, and tell us about kind of the things you're investing in? Oh, life is a journey. Uh, so, so much. So anyway, I finally picked my head up at the tail end of 137. And I said like, what, I love that, that part of the asset class and like that interesting, weird thing we were doing there. But it did, it was a little, it felt a little more late stage for me. And it was late stage. And that's what also made it awesome. But Kevin and I had been fortunate to angel invest for, you know, and and it was totally on the side. We all had operating jobs. Kevin had gone on to Instagram and then uh, starting Facebook's Libra um, within uh, all the crypto initiatives there before going over to Planet. And so that was his, that I had done all of these things and we could make small angel investments. And this was, you know, not huge checks, but it was great people you collect along the way. Like somebody that comes over for lunch or an engineer that you knew that was leaving X, Y, or Z or a former colleague from Twitter. And we, we invested in about hundred companies, small checks over time. And I picked my head up and I, now I'd add my, my kids and I have six year old twins and an eight year old now. But they were they were babies, and I started thinking like, if we keep investing in this clip personally, like I'm never going to be able to send them to college. And we, I looked at our portfolio, and we, I think there's like 23 unicorns in that set uh, uh, now. So you know, it was pretty good for just investing in the people that you like cl- collect along the way, and like interesting folks in your network. And so when I left 137, I thought like, what do I love doing? What am I best armed to do? I was also very scared. I, if you, I was in a a mental spot then that I thought like, what am I getting? Nobody's going to want to hire me ever again. And I'm not working for a larger shingle. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? And it was just like, it was this feeling of somebody must have erased your LinkedIn, for example, and like wiped out all of the experience you've had in your past. But it was really unanchoring for me. Uh, and what I found as I went through like the normal motions of life, that I naturally had more time now to pick up the phone for a founder, or I had a little bit of time to like be like, that idea is interesting and like tease out a little more and make it a small investment. And having that, you know, that ability to kind of grow what do you love doing organically. And then at at the time, like doing it in a way that I knew I wanted to live my life where I get to choose and the name of, you know, even scribble, like it, it makes you think something a little differently, but anyway, so this year of angsty 2019, I call it. Um, but then I, by the end of the year, I started a really great little motion. I was like, I'm going to give myself a test portfolio amount to run this model of essentially like writing a little bit bigger than an angel check, doing it in a deliberate way. I had, you know, a small handful, because how do you, as a single GP, how do you like make ideas better? Had a small collective of other great angels that, you know, you'd have like a Monday call and you'd spar on some ideas. Then you call, you know, and 
and I felt like I had this mini, you know, external independent team, for example, that made ideas better and we swapped deals and things. So I was making, you know, pretty, pretty steady uh, set of investments. And then um, we all know three years ago this month, what happened? Like I look at it as the day the leprechaun traps never came home from, from kindergarten, but COVID and all of a sudden everyone was like, freeze, we don't know what's happening in the world. And, and I, I like, there was, it, and I just, everyone was like, stop, halt. Like the investing side, everyone was triaging their portfolios and not knowing what was doing. The sky was falling. And I just looked at that and I'm like, what an inflection point and what a game change in venture egg right now. We don't know what, what it's going to do, but it, they, every, like it is a change. And I just thought, what a time it would be dumb to take the pedal off and not be making investments. So I had the crazy idea in, uh, in April of, of COVID when I woke up in the middle of the night with the name Scribble. And then for me, everything that I had a playbook from there, because it was like, you know, with a name that felt so me, it's like, I see this and crazy idea during COVID with, you know, three infants at home to start a venture capital firm and the world doesn't need another VC firm is going through my head. But I just saw such a change in time and Scribble Ventures was born. Uh, and I knew I wanted it to be similarly modeled with the motion I'd been able to do as an angel of this collaborative size check. And what we call that now is roughly 750K to a million dollars initially in great founders where you don't have to be sharp elbowed. Other great angels can get involved. You can bring those people in. You can call other great VC firms to be involved and uh, others can call you. Uh, work with other other great investors, and that was uh, that was really what you know became the foundation. Uh, so the summer of Zoom, uh, 2020 style of COVID, Scribble uh, Ventures Fund One was born, a 50 million dollar fund uh, focused on pre-seed, seed, opportunistic A, and really the biggest uh, learning and shift for me. Uh, I hated even selling Girl Scout cookies as a little kid. So I never wanted to ask a soul for money. And it's still an uncomfortable motion uh, for me because I'd rather help you first before asking you for anything. And what I realized when Scribble was born is as soon as you believe so deeply in what you're working on, it just happens. And the people that you've met and collected along the way are like, we want to support you. We want to help build this into something special. And we were fortunate to uh, raise Scribble 2 in 2022 and announced that last fall. And, uh, and again, very core, you know, $55 million fund, a small follow-on breakout fund for some of our winners. And doing this in this motion that I don't want to build Scribble right now to be a half a billion dollar seed fund like there's something magical about sitting core you know very hungry and and lean but working with phenomenal founders writing this collaborative size check that allows us to play with everybody in the venture ecosystem and matchmake along the way and it just really is uh what gives me great joy every every day when i wake up and say i get to choose and uh now with three grown kids like i love my scribble work and i love having them say like mom is the boss and mommy gets to choose and I can I can really work so much of life and scribble all into one and just be be very much Elizabeth unapologetically that's great that's it it, it, it makes that's great because it makes me my 2023 new year's resolution was to be myself and so it's great that you're able to also be yourself um because you're just like look this is who i am i love helping founders i love helping collab with these people i also love my kids and so you could just do both in this beautiful kind of more flexible way um but so I, with that life's too short to have uh you know different stories and multiple personalities like there's yeah. no be you oneself just, be oneself exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on today, Elizabeth. And for folks that want to check her out, there's uh, A, on Twitter, being part of the original Twitter stuff, she has Elizabeth, at Elizabeth on Twitter, you know, so. I have to tell you, I'm going to interrupt. I have to tell you, I have at Elizabeth on Twitter, not because I work there. When I was early in my VC career, still at Menlo Ventures, 
Ev and Biz were working on some company called Odeo in the podcasting space of all things. And I had cold called them. And I remember Biz said, hey, you should check out this little thing we're spinning on Twitter. And I got in, signed up for some reason with Elizabeth. I have no idea why I just chose to play Elizabeth, but I did. And then I was dormant for you know, like a year. And when we started diligencing when I was at 130 at uh, IBP about doing the investment in Twitter, they said, Does that, has anyone used this? And I was like, I think they have. And I went in and it said, somebody had taken the password from my usual. And I was, I put in my usual password. Or my, and sure enough, I'm at Elizabeth. So I tweeted once, it was dormant, and then at Elizabeth was born. So I, I earned it. You earned yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Before you started working at Twitter. That's good. That's good. That's good. Was, uh, at Elizabeth on Instagram. Like Kevin Sistrom was a classmate at Stanford and he'd been working on this thing called bourbon. Ultimately, it turned into Instagram. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, uh, I was getting those with- early, early Twitter, early usernames is fun. Um, and then if, yeah, if you're a founder, definitely go to scribble.vc. That's S-C-R-I-B-B-L-E dot V-C. Um, yeah, and, and feel free to hit up Elizabeth or the team there if you're building something. If you're ready to run through walls and want Elizabeth to run through walls with you, um, hit her up. Uh, and with that, uh, anything else to say to our listeners today, Elizabeth? Uh, happy National Scribble Day. Happy National Scribble Day. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and goodbye. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like the show, please give us a five-star podcast review or subscribe on YouTube. And if you'd like to chat about this episode with a community of amazing, smart, ambitious, divergent people, come on by and join our Discord. You can find it at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. And then finally, if you'd like to contribute to these ideas being shared more widely in society, you can support the podcast production team at patreon.com slash Landmark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Thanks, and see you here for the next episode. Bye.